This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Hola. Ruben Lerner. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about what to do when people come asking for freebies. I'm curious as we start, have any of you experienced this? So I, I, I just want to tell you a fun story from when we moved into our apartment. So this was in uh, 99 and we get to our new place and the neighbors were very nice and stopped by and uh, hi, welcome to the building. It's not a huge building. It's like eight apartments total. And then someone says, Oh, and I hear you work with computers. Maybe you could help me. And I said, yes, I do. And I'd love to help you. Just one little thing. I don't know anything about windows. Do you use Unix? Never again have I had questions <laughs> from any neighbor. It's like the, 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 the best. So if you need a strategy to get rid of people, just tell them you only know Unix. <laughs> but if you need something a little more practical. <laughs> so it's great. We can wrap this episode up. <laughs> I get requests from people saying, hey, can we talk for a half hour about whatever? Or mm. the other one I get is from people who really just don't get software and it's, it's could you could you write me a script that does Twitter or does a Twitter clone? <laughs> I'll pay you fifty dollars, which is you know essentially a you know I'm just like mm, I don't even reply to those. But yeah, what were you going to say, Jonathan? I get the uh, could we just meet up for coffee? I'll buy you know I'll buy you coffee or I'll buy you lunch or something like that. And it's like it's weird because I can't. Sometimes I say yes and sometimes I say no. I can't even tell you why. It probably has basically nothing to do with the person and everything to do with how busy I feel, whether or not I say yes. But I get sometimes I'll get the can we get a discount thing because we're a nonprofit or because we're a startup or something like that. But I don't get too many people asking me for straight up freebies other than, you know, can we just jump on a, you know, can we either get grab coffee or jump on a call so I can pick your brain type of stuff. And I, I tend to say, I, I almost always say no. I, I hardly ever say yes. I'll admit that I've actually made that request to people, but it's usually people I want to connect with, not necessarily <laughs> get free advice from. So here's a trick if you do want to get to pick someone's brain, start a podcast and interview them. They'll almost <laughs> always say yes to that. Genius. That's good. It seems a little high threshold, but <laughs> nah, podcast is easy. Does anyone know anyone who started a podcast? <laughs> I Got did. It. I did. <laughs> I don't think we know anyone who doesn't, except for except for me, I guess. But I'm talking about it. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the training stuff that I do, I sometimes get requests to speak for free, but that's kind of rare. Actually, wait, wait, no, that's not true. The training company I used to work with in Israel, so they do a, uh, a like a week long like conference every year, and so they called me up. And I guess it was two or three years ago at this point, and they said, "Would you like to teach?" I was like, "Yeah, I'd be happy to teach at a conference." And they said, "Oh, by the way." We don't pay the lectures. I said, oh, by the way, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> right. I, I'm sorry, but you'll have to pay me. And they said, oh, but it is great publicity. 
And even then I said to them, how about this? I am booked solid several months in advance. I don't need the publicity. And then they called me back and they're like, okay, we'll pay you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that does remind me. I I have, you know, spoken at probably over a hundred conferences and I do get requests to show, you know, oh, we'd love to have you speak at the conference. Unfortunately, you know, it's our first year and we're not in a position to pay you or whatever. So that, that I do get that affair fairly often. But actually like doing work work, I don't think I get it very often at all. The closest is, I guess, people sometimes ask me, and they don't even know that I like do the podcast, you know, this podcast and other such things with sort of helping consultants. But they'll have sort of a business idea. They're thinking of going to business on their own. And I think there was a, a period of about a month or two when I sat with like three or four people in the course of a short period of time, helping them think through their business. And that's when I started to think, maybe I should be charging them for this if I'm really helping this many people. And then it sort of went away. But that was sort of the the initial germ that led to my thinking about doing the coaching for trainers, simply because I realized I could be offering them some useful advice that would be worth money to them and to me. I was going to say, I'm in this really interesting place in my business where how I make money is changing and it's it's becoming a more high leverage activity, right? Like I have group mentoring and that's way more profitable than doing one-on-one work for a client. And so I actually have time that I could... Like, I'm not just slammed all the time, I guess is what I'm saying. And in addition to that, I have this mission that I really am trying to help self-employed software developers make that transition from generalist into higher profit specialist, right? I get, you know, questions via email is the primary channel by which I get questions. I'm not super active on Twitter or other social media. So I get most of my questions via email because of my status, expertise, whatever, around this topic of positioning. And I'm happy to get the questions. I sometimes will give people like a pro bono 30-minute call if I feel like it's an interesting question and I feel like they could actually benefit from 30 minutes on the phone with me. So I'll do the thing that I do for money for free for people. But, you know, I'm not like swamped with requests at this point. So it doesn't take away from anything else. And usually if I answer a question via email, I can parlay that into additional marketing for my own business. So that creates kind of a win-win dynamic, I think. And so that's that's the main source of like requests for free stuff that I get. And that's how I tend to handle that. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I do this. You know, I answer questions for free all the time on my mailing list, but I'm getting a lot out of it for the exact reason that you described. Because I'm sending out a ton of email and I ask people to you know, reply and ask me questions. And that helps me understand how to help them better. And it, and to be sort of cynical about it, it like gives me more content. So it's, I feel like that's more of an even trade. It doesn't feel like a freebie to me is what I'm getting at. Yeah. But by the way, I mean, I just started uh, this week, I guess it was last week as we record this sort of doing what I've been talking about doing for a long time, which is evergreen content on my mailing list. And when you sign up, you get number one, the number two, and so on and so forth. So the first thing went out this week, and exactly what you said happened, where I got a whole bunch of email back from people saying, oh, I'd love it if you talk about X and Y and Z. And I'm totally 100% willing to research those things and look into them and get back to them. But I'll get back to them as part of the newsletter, as part of the you know, general content. But I mean, it helps. I mean, I guess maybe if it's a specific person, I can like send them a preview. But you know, it helps me as much as it helps them and probably even helps me more than it helps them. So that doesn't bother me. I, I mean, I think maybe all of us are familiar, though, with the, this idea of, oh, yeah, you work with computers and, you know, maybe you can help me with X and Y and Z with my business. And it'll only take half an hour. <laughs> and right. First of all, it's never half an hour. And second of all, I, I mean, 
over time, I've definitely gotten better at saying to people, listen, I'd love to help you. I do enjoy helping people. That's why I do what I do. At the same time, this is what I do for a living. You know, just like lawyers do documents and go to court and doctors help people out, you know, with their medical issues. And if it's 30 seconds, maybe I'll help you out. But if it's longer, I'm going to have to charge you. And it really took me a long time to get to the point where I felt bold enough to say that. But now I feel pretty comfortable saying it. And people actually respect it, much to my pleasant surprise. Yeah, they don't. The world doesn't end. They don't suddenly hate you. <laughs> right. I, I which I like, actually expect. It. <laughs> yeah, it feels like they will, but they don't. I feel like there are two questions here. How can you decrease the number of requests you get for freebies? Like, why are you getting requests for freebies? And then the other thing is what to do or say when someone does ask for a freebie. I'm just imagining this, but I feel like I don't get a lot of requests for freebies because I've purposely and consistently presented myself as a very expensive option. So... It's like, I'm not going to be the cheapest option. If you're looking for the cheapest option, I'm not your guy. I can put you in touch with someone who might be less expensive, uh, that kind of thing. So it, it's, I feel like it's obvious that I feel like I present myself to the world in a way that makes it obvious that I'm not going to say yes to something like that. I mean, I met maybe, maybe people just think I'm a jerk. I don't know. Well, also like your clients, like these big companies, it's not their personal money, right? It might come out of their budget, but they're like, oh, we're getting professional service. Clearly we'll pay. You know, there's a big difference between a, a large company contracting with you to do something or asking for help on something and someone saying, hey, Jonathan, can we sit down and talk about, you know, my, my, my mobile strategy? Yeah, it's just a weird thing to ask. For. Well, I mean, so we did a show a little while back about how much to give away for free in a sales call, which, again, I don't think is what the real question is here, because I, I think if somebody calls you in for a sales call and, and you feel like it's a legitimate possibility that you'll get the work. I think it's fine to go in and, you know, for half an hour to maybe 45 minutes, just sort of off the top of your head, give them advice for free with no expectation of payment for that session because it's part of making the sale and building the trust and all that. So again, I don't count that as a freebie per se, but you are, I suppose, giving things away for free. And I do do that, but it typically results in a very lucrative engagement. So I guess I'm kind of trusting the intent of the person who's reaching out to me to not be a tire kicker or just taking advantage of the cost of doing business, that kind of thing. I'll tell you that most of the requests that I get of this nature are, hey, quick question in my email box, right? <laughs> yeah. And so if we're talking about how to decrease that load, it's a little bit hard just because, you know, I want to be approachable and I want people to feel like they can come to me and ask their questions and that they're going to get help. But at the same time, I don't have time to answer all the quick questions I get. And so for me, it's more of a, okay, well, how much of this affects who I am and who I want to be and how much of this affects whether or not I can get the things done that I need to get done. And I, I don't know. I think it's different for everybody. So, yeah, I think you've got the right of it, Jonathan, with your positioning and saying I'm in this position where I'm serving high-end clients. And so, you know, basically you've given people the option to select out of that pool. And I feel like in my position, I'm inviting people to select into that pool. Yeah, that makes sense. And so at the same time, I'm not really sure if I want to decrease the number. And if I did, I'm not sure how I would do that and still effectively get the kind of feedback and input that I want from that kind of request. 
Right. Yeah. I guess the, the flip side of my position is that I get very, very few leads for that business, but when they come through, they're screaming hot. One of the things that I have on the list that I'm building, which is things that I would have a virtual assistant do or some kind of assistant if I had an assistant. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> building this list for, I, I don't know when I'll take action on that, but I'm, I'm every time I think of something that I think would have value, but I just can't get to myself or don't want to do it myself. It goes on this list. One of the things on there is to build an index of topics that I've talked about on a podcast or in my own content marketing or just anywhere, right? I I want someone to go through and catalog all that stuff so that I can have this topical index and just point people to it when I get questions that would be you know, where, where they can just listen to the right thing for 15, 20 minutes and get the thing they need to answer that question. So not everybody's in the position to do that, I know, but I guess that's one of the benefits of having a public body of work. You can start to, I, I think Jonathan <laughs> uses that to not to actively screen people out, but it passively screens out like people who would never be willing to pay for your time or who couldn't afford to compensate you for your time. Or, your, or the value you create. And also, I think it's, you know, you, you can leverage it to actually help people out in a way that's not impactful on your own time. It's interesting but that I, you mentioned that because that's effectively the approach that I've started taking. So I signed up for Freshdesk, which is a help desk software. I've got it set up so that if I forward something over there, it goes in as a ticket on behalf of the person who mailed it in, not me. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's nice about that is you mentioned virtual assistants, and I effectively have two at this point. Mm -hmm. I have Gerald in Philippines, and I have Melinda, who is actually local. So when I forward stuff over there, then they pick it up, and Freshdesk has a feature where you basically have canned responses. And so obviously they can't send them the same canned response more than once. But uh, the flip side is, is that then if there is like a common question or a common request or can I get your advice on this? Then I can do exactly what you said. And they can just pick that canned response out of there and say, Chuck really appreciates you, you know, emailing in. Here's some information. And if you have a more specific question, you can get back to me. I'll be interested to hear how that works. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm not sure how people will respond to it. You know, I feel like I'm giving up some of that personal connection. But at the same time, I also feel like I'm helping people who are reaching out. So I'm not sure exactly how that balance is going to strike. But that's where I'm at right now. I've definitely told people, I mean, not explicitly, but I haven't dissuaded them from doing it. People who have taken my classes from contacting me if they have questions afterwards. And I guess even if I don't say anything, sometimes they feel like, well, you know, he was the instructor. How much email could he possibly get? I'll just send him something. And lately I've decided that, I mean, I've always tried to answer people sometimes a little more timely than others. But lately I've decided that I'm going to try to sort of take advantage of these messages. And if I answer, then I answer it on my blog or in my newsletter. Like I sort of say, well, I'm, I'm going to research this and I'm going to help a lot of people. And I don't name them. I don't name their company. But I feel like, again, I'm sort of, you know, it's good for them and it's good for me. So I, I actually enjoy getting these questions then because it gives me content that I know is interesting to at least some people that I can you know, keep using. But I also get like, what, one question every two, three weeks. If I were getting it more often than that, I think I would get a little more resentful. You know, you bring up an interesting point, Reuven. When I first started to try to use content marketing for my own business, I was lucky if I could get one blog article written a month, right? 
So I know there's a lot of people who are in that situation. They don't do anything at all or what they do is sporadic and very effortful. And so if you do get questions, that's a fantastic opportunity to do exactly what Reuven said, turn it into public facing content marketing. It may not be the complete answer to your, your marketing needs, but it would be a way for some people to kind of prime the pump and get started on that. Yeah. One other thing that I'll add to that is that I did this webinar last week and I was talking about the five mistakes that are keeping you from getting hired. It was kind of aimed at new developers. There were a hundred and something people on the webinar and they kept wow. asking a bunch of questions. And so I filed all those questions away because I know they're going to come up again as I talk more about this topic. And so I'm going to start writing blog posts about them and recording videos on YouTube about them. And yeah, the entire premise is that then I can get them to become blog readers or email subscribers or YouTube subscribers or what have you. And, you know, have that kind of say into what they're listening to. And, you know, and then I can influence things from there so that if there is a product that I think will take them up that next notch, however they want, then I can provide that to them without actually having to do a lot more work. I should also add, like, every so often I'll get someone emailing me and saying, oh, I really like your book. This is exactly what I need. I can't afford it. And, you know, I offer discounts of various sorts. But at the end of the day, like, I really feel strongly that anyone, anywhere in the world should be able to, you know, no matter what they're making, can, can pay for the book, especially, like, academics with a discount. But then I'll tell them, look, I actually produce a fair amount of free stuff, and there's totally no obligation for that. And I do feel in many ways, like the mailing list and the blog, are my sort of contribution to society and the ecosystem. Of course, they're helping me as well in improving my reputation in the community, but the two aren't necessarily you know, at odds with each other. So I don't, I don't feel that bad telling someone, sorry, you have to pay, because then I can say, but I do have tons of content here and here and here, and take it as much as you want and subscribe and enjoy. Yeah, I love having a book available for 49 bucks now that if somebody is like, geez, I really can't afford your coaching because it's kind of pricey for where I'm at right now. I say, well, you know, for a fraction, you know, a percentage point of that price, you can go pick up this book or you can join my mailing list for free or you can take this free email course. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing. It feels like, yes, in a sense, it's self-promotional, but Based on replies, those things really do help people quite a bit. And since it makes financial sense for me to keep doing it, you're not just making the world a better place. You're actually doing it in a way that is sustainable. Because mm -hmm. you, if you have to you know, scramble around to make ends meet and this is a hobby on the side, it's unlikely that you'd be able to keep it up. So I feel like, yeah, it's just super beneficial all the way around. Well, and the, and the return on investment of the right book at the right time is just off the charts. Yep. Yeah. 50 bucks that changes your life. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Books are like the, the best deal ever because people, you just can't price a book like, like 50 bucks is crazy high for a book, you know, other than maybe like some kind of tome at, you know, your college is for whatever, some physics class in general, books don't cost that much. You know, usually you get a book for, you know, eight bucks, 20 bucks tops, but still <laughs> like books should be more expensive in my opinion. But, so I'm expecting big things from your book, Jonathan. I think a big part of life. But it, it does make sense. I mean, you spend 50 bucks for the book, you change the way you do business, and you double your income during the year from even from like 20,000 to 40,000, if that was the case, you know, or 100,000 to 200,000. 
I spent 50 bucks to learn how to make twice as much money and others to make 20,000 more or a hundred thousand more. I mean, it makes it, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. They are all if you're willing to do the work. Yeah. I mean, well, I was just going to pile on there. Like the, the book I put out is only been out for three months and I'm already getting success stories back from it. People were like, Oh, you know, I actually tried this. I didn't think it was going to work, but I just landed two of the highest paying gigs I've ever had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So for a $50 investment, and I could say the same thing about a bunch of books, value-based fees by Alan Weiss complete. I built my business off of that book. I mean, it's, it's solid gold front to back. Chuck, earlier you mentioned the help desk system and I realized I mean, I know I'm describing what to some listeners are going to sound like, you know, quote unquote, rich people problems or, you know, problems that aren't really applicable. But when you have a lot of people asking you questions, structuring that data somehow so it's useful later to like learn about your market or learn about the most popular question, that becomes something I, I wish I could do and have not. I don't have any system for doing that. You know, I've got my email inbox, which has a great search feature, and that's really about it, right? So I don't have a solution for that yet, but I'm aware that I could be doing a better job there. I guess I'm wondering for you, like three, six months down the road, do you see value in having the sort of semi-structured data about what kind of questions people are asking you? Yeah, what I see there is essentially then those questions don't take up my time. And it's not that I don't want to spend my time on those people, but I feel like my time is better spent on those people working on the podcasts or working on products or working on webinars or putting together other things and making it so that they're getting high quality content that is new stuff instead of me rehashing or regurgitating, you know, the same content for them one-on-one in an email. And so that's where I see the payoff because ultimately, you know, I, I do the shows and they pay my living, but the reason I'm doing this is because I feel like the best way to change the world is by changing a community or, uh, you know, or a nation, so to speak. And the best way to change that is to change a family or a team. The best way to change that is to change the individuals that make it up. And so if I can make a difference for that one person, then great. But if it's something that I can send them along that I've sent to a hundred or a thousand other people, then I'm already covering them and I can work on helping more people in more ways. And so I get the payoff that way. And, And that's the payoff that I'm looking for. So it's not just about money. It's about time for me and being able to put the time into the things that are going to pay off in the biggest way for the things that matter to me. Yeah. Kind of scaling your impact. Yep. For folks who are doing client work, are there ways to deal with these sort of freebie requests that can kind of steer things towards that become a client relationship? Or did you guys have ideas about that? I don't know. A lot, a lot of these people who say, can I just get some help from you? My experience is they tend to be individuals, not necessarily a lot of money. They don't quite value what's going on. And they just, they just like, they have no idea what you're charging and they have no idea how your work really works. It's like a totally different universe. Yeah. One thing I will say, though, is that if the marginal cost is low enough, then you wind up helping them anyway. And hopefully that does turn into paid work somewhere. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I agree with you. That sort of ticked two boxes in my mind. One is that with client work, 
before when I was working at the firm, I was managing that firm that was hourly, there would be situations where you'd have this ongoing project that you were charging for the hour. And every once in a while, the client would sort of pull you aside and say, hey, we're thinking about this new thing. Could we sort of bounce some ideas off you? And so it would be unrelated to the project. And it was, it was, I suppose, implicitly obvious that it wasn't going to be billable time that, you know, this conversation, surely they would freak out if I billed them for the time for the consultation. So I'm thinking how I handle that now is that pulling me aside to kind of whiteboard something with me is my product now. So if you're in a situation where you're especially, I think it's especially common if you are billing by the hour and people, you know, you're there or they have you on the phone, Hey, can we just talk about this other thing? And if you have a dedicated product set up to do that, say it's ideation or architecture or whatever it is, your software architecture, whatever the thing is, if you have a dedicated product ready to go and they say, yeah, can you say, sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let me get an idea where you're going. And they start to give you a feel for it. You'd be like, oh, I've got the perfect thing for you. We can do a four hour workshop on this. We'll get all the stakeholders in the room. It's $2,500. And you immediately make it clear that this is the, what they're considering engaging you for is a very high value thing. And you have a product all set up to go that will do this for them. And I feel like that the fact that it's set up in advance and that it has a price and that there's an implication that other people have paid for it, then that can kind of, first of all, capture back some profit from the value that you're providing, but also gives you a, a conversation and gives them a, a path to go down instead of just just like saying, no, I'll have to be about by the hour for that conversation or just giving it away for free and making it seem like something you just do. You know, I hadn't thought about it, but the, yeah, I guess I even do this to some degree. Because I've had a few clients in the last year, I guess, call me up and say, can we just sort of talk about our web application strategy and what's going on there? And I could pull out, you know, sort of my, the road mapping and say, well, I do that with companies on occasion. And we do this one day thing and it costs such and such. And exactly what you said happened. That it, because I presented it as sort of, this is a standard thing. This is something I do and this is what it costs. Mm. The, the barriers to paying for it just evaporated. They're like, oh, well, you know, let me let me think about whether I want it. Not what you're going to charge me for that. That never came up. Mm -hmm. um, right. And similarly with courses, like sometimes people will say, well, we were thinking about teaching X and Y and Z. And I can say, oh, well, that's part of my blah, blah, blah course. Right. And mm -hmm. it takes X days and costs Y. And right. I, I guess so I guess it's that like being able to say, yes, I've done it. This is what it costs. That changes the equation completely. Yeah. And then the conversation you end up having in the hallway there is, well, let's talk for a minute and see if that would be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so then you ask them some very high level questions and you, and you, you know, you nod, they nod, everything, everybody's jiving and you're like, yeah, this would be a perfect fit for you. It'd be great. It'd actually probably be a great deal. You know, and it just, because you are all set up to accommodate them and they already trust you if you're already doing a gig, then it's usually fine. The other thing that that triggered was that sometimes people will say, I actually respond very favorably to this kind of request, which is where someone says, hey, maybe I know them, maybe I don't know them, but they reach out to me for something that's obviously not something they're currently paying me for. And they'll say, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about this thing or whatever. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, obviously, I don't want this for free. I'm happy to pay for it. You know, is there some almost mechanism through which I can pay you for this. It's almost like, and then sometimes I, I suppose 
I would just be like, no, this, this is so easy. I'll just, we can jump on the phone. It's fine. But since they expressed that they value my time to the point where that they would go through the trouble of, you know, making a payment somehow and doing all that, then I tend to be like, eh, it's no big deal. You know, it's only going to take 10 minutes. Maybe, maybe it ends up being a half an hour. Uh, I'm trying to think when the last time I, I can, I'm sure that I have done this in the past. I'm sure that I have responded yet, but I can't think of a specific example. So it hasn't happened in a while, but it's so much different than that sort of cheapskate email you get or people just write it in a way that indicates they presume that you have all the time in the world to just jump on the phone with any rando and share your most valuable asset, which is your expertise. By the way, I've, I found, I think you guys all use Calendly. So I've been using, I guess, maybe close to a year now. And I have found that solves a lot of these problems also. Because mm-hmm. someone will say, can we talk? And I'll say, you know what, I'm really busy, but just look at my calendar and pick a time. And that's when they say, oh my God, like, I don't see much time here. I say, yeah, my time's pretty, you know, at a premium. But if you can find a good time for you there, then feel free to book it. And that also tends to change the tone quite a bit. The other thing that yeah. that does is it also is like, oh, wow, you're super organized. If only they knew. <laughs> right? Yeah. But still, I, I hear that. And then what it usually boils down to is, you know, I'll be chatting with a sponsor. Or I'll be chatting with a potential client or somebody. And yeah, the 30 minutes are up and it's like, it's like, well, I, I want to be real respectful of your time because, you know, you've given them the parameters for a time box conversation and they, you know, essentially got squeezed into your schedule and it helps out with that too. Now, this is getting into black belt level stuff, but I would propose for, for anybody who has a problem with people, you know, wanting free whatever, that they could set up a page on their website that's like, I mean, a one-hour strategy call or whatever, right? And you just list out a couple bullet points as to what that service would be and price it at, you know, nosebleed prices, whatever you think that is. I think for most people, that's going to be around $300 an hour. And you just use that as a sort of framing mechanism for when you get a request. And, you know, you can use that in a number of ways. You can actually have a service that people buy or you can use something like Clarity FM to do that where you actually are asking for money or you can just say, normally I send people here, but you know, in your case, it sounds like we could resolve this very quickly. So here's my calendar link. So you, you might kind of combine what Reuven is talking about with, with a sort of framing mechanism that demonstrates that that time has real monetary value. Another thing I know, I, I think comes, this is all tied into that, which is that a, a lot of times it seems like, when you do get that freebie request, there is also urgent, like on top of it, them wanting it to be free, they're also in a hurry. So sending them to a calendar that's booked solid for a few weeks, a lot of times I imagine would just scare them away. Be like, oh, never mind, I'll, answer. I'll, I'll do a Google search instead of asking you. <laughs> right, and by the way, and I, I wanna make it clear to the listeners that we're not just snobs. Like that's not the, that's not the only point of this uh, episode. Like. I actually, I love what I do, and I love being able to help a lot of people and be in touch with a lot of people, but I sort of, I mean, I assume you guys are at this point, too. Like, I've definitely reached my limits of what I can do, and if I have to choose between, you know, helping people for free and helping people with my business, you know, the business wins. Unless I choose, you know, unless it's voluntary work or I say this is going to be a priority for me or something. Because I, I think to some degree I'm sounding like, huh, I do not want to talk to anyone who does not have lots of money, and that, that's not the case. I mean, they're always nice to talk to, so, you know, if they pay, but, <laughs> but there, are, there are other priorities in life 
but sometimes it just becomes a little overwhelming to deal with all these people contacting you and asking for help and like, oh my God, how, how can you sort of turn that torrent into a trickle? Mm. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, if you've written a bunch of books and I didn't have any idea what kind of level of email I was going to get after writing a book, you know, it's not like it's superstar, but I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day and it's, you just, it's just not possible. You know, I would collapse under the, the weight of it if I didn't filter some stuff out. You just have to. There's just no way. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. A guy was talking about walking down the street with Michael Douglas, like the actor, and how, you know, people stop him constantly. He can't get from point A to point B. He just has to say no, you know, and to the point where he hires people to say no for him to walk around with him. And the guy said to him, the guy said, the guy who was with him, his name was Shep Gordon. He asked him, like, how do you deal with that? And he was, you know, it, the situation was like, you know, he, they saw this guy in a wheelchair, just like obviously staring at Michael Douglas and probably would have meant a lot to him to take a picture with him or whatever. And they, you know, ignored it and kept going. And he was like, yeah, I just feel like a complete jerk. But, uh, you know, I, after a while you get numb to it because you couldn't function as a human being if I stopped for every single one of those, like, I'd like to think I could do that, but I know I can't. And that's like a just crazy hundred X scale of what we're talking about here. But, you know, email is this, it's almost like a public space where people can just like put all these things on you and, you know, you just can't, you just can't answer it all. You have to pick and choose and try and leverage it where you can. So, you know, if you get a lot of questions, similar, similar questions, then sure. You just write a blog post about it and email everybody back. Hey, I posted about this, or if it's on your list, they'll just get it automatically. So you come up with these strategies to kind of help as much as you can without, you know, damaging your business or your personal life. Cause that's the other thing. It's like, I'd rather play with my kids than answer emails. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a balance you have to strike. Yeah. John Lee Dumas calls your inbox OPA, which is other people's agenda. And nice. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, ultimately that's what it is, right? Is I want to help these people and I care about these people, but I have to do the things that are important for my business and for my family and for my, you know, so you have your own agenda and you have to put that agenda first. And a lot of times other people's agenda will play into your own agenda. And so then you can help them out along the way. But in a lot of cases, you just have to say no to all those things so you can say yes to the things that matter. Yeah, you'd burn out if you didn't. If you didn't put some kind of filter in place, you'd burn out and then nobody would get anything. Yep. It's just a balance you have to strike. Yeah, I mean, there's a, this sort of paradoxical element at play when you start marketing yourself effectively and developing some kind of audience or some kind of publicly visible street cred where people are like, okay, this person is an expert. This person has answers and I have questions, <laughs> right? Yep. You need that audience. You need that dynamic. In other words, you need demand for your expertise to make that work. But at the same time, that demand for expertise turns into these kind of rich people problems we're describing here are these internet celebrity problems where you get a lot of stuff. I mean, aside from the fact that to actually be helpful to people requires a lot more context than most people are going to give you in their email question. I mean, that's another thing we haven't really talked about is aside from 
being helpful or not being helpful, there's just the question of what does it actually take to be effective in, in giving people advice online, right? I think that it takes a lot more than, than you think at first. I, I feel like I've had to deal with this in my own career is kind of figuring out what's, what's the threshold of information I need to get from somebody in order to even give them a helpful answer to their question. I mean, a specific answer aside from just some general guidance. Anyway, you know, these, these problems are kind of come out of this paradox of like, you've built up some kind of online authority. Now you're getting questions. A lot of these things are not really going to happen for people who have no marketing platform, right? They're, they're just going to get the requests from family members to troubleshoot their printer. Yeah, actually, you, you brought up one of my moves. So like when somebody sends me in, you can kind of tell if somebody just fired off an email and it was like poorly thought out or something. And they're just, they're, they're really, it's like you should send them to Google almost. And a lot of times what I'll do there is be like, interesting question. Can you elaborate so I have more context? And they'll never get back <laughs> to you, that, that sort of thing. But sometimes they do get back to you with a really thoughtful email. You know, I'll be like, you know, I need to understand the background here. I, I don't know you, you know, and you're asking me a very, it's kind of a sensitive question. Like, how would you respond to this client request or something like that? And like, how did you meet the client? Do you, how long have you worked? You know, you have to give me some background and then you'll give, if I get back an email, that's like a thoughtful answer to that question, but it's not too long, but it's not too short. It's kind of, there's kind of a balance. Then odds are pretty good that I'll get back to that person because they put in some time and effort to really think about it and type it up. And it wasn't just this knee jerk. Oh, I know who I'll ask type of thing. And a lot of times that'll turn into like a long answer. And like we said earlier, and then probably I'll, I'll say, Hey, would it be okay if I posted this or not an anonymous version of it to the list? And they virtually always say yes. So it turns into not just helping that one person, but helping, you know, a thousand people. So th there's a thing that's sort of, maybe this is a tangent, so you can shout me down. But the thing that scares me more than freebie requests is discount requests, or we haven't got the budget for, for this. So can you give us a discount? But maybe that's a whole separate show, but it's kind of like the, yeah, if you give us a discount now, there's a lot more work where that came from. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> right. Like, Oh, take a crappy job now to get more crappy work later. Sounds great. <laughs> we should do an episode on that. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a whole, that's a separate episode, I think. So what should people, I don't know if we've, we've, we've had a couple of suggestions just to, I guess, to wrap a couple of suggestions about what to do when you get asked for a freebie offer, like point them to free resources that you already have online, perhaps suggest that they book a phone call with you or offer them a productized service. What else can people say or what else have you guys done when you get asked for some sort of free help? Is there anything that we've left out? I've actually told people that, look, I am really busy doing these things or I'm just, you know, I have been really busy for the last few weeks. I've had to put a few people off and I feel bad about that. So at this point, I can't even say maybe later. And by giving them that kind of context into, look, I am, you know, I'm slammed and I'm not trying to be rude, but, you know, there are other people that I have put off you know, with similar requests. And I just don't feel like I can even in good conscience say that anymore because I don't know if I will. Then a lot of times people are like, oh, okay. I'll sometimes send them to, you know, another provider who might have more time or be cheaper. That doesn't always work, but I mean, they can work. 
yeah, that it, I guess it depends on the request. If it's if someone hits me up for sort of mobile work of some kind, I will usually do that. I'll try to say oh, I'm, I'm book solid right now. Uh, if you want to wait until Q2 2017, then that'd be awesome. But no one ever wants to do that. So say if you don't want to wait that long, or you can't wait that long. You should reach out to you know a short list of other people who I respect. That's pretty much my answer for mobile consulting type stuff is I just send them to someone else. Yeah, that's what I was going to add is just kind of having a go-to list of referrals, you know, two or three people who are in the same space you are who might be able to help. I mean, on the one hand, you're kind of, if you're sending them someone who's clearly doesn't value paying anybody for this, you're kind of offloading your problems to them and it's probably better not to do that. But I think that's a very useful asset to have is just a list of referrals. Because the first time you get that situation, you're kind of scrambling to get it together. And, and it's fine to handle it just in time. But I think it's also useful to sit down and say, who would I refer work to if I was too busy? Even if, if you can't imagine being too busy or if you're just you know, in, in that situation where you would take anything, I think it's still useful to go through that exercise. It, it starts to change your mindset, if, if nothing else, and, and make you think, wow, maybe it is possible that someday I might say no to a job for a good reason, for a strategic reason for my business. Yeah, I, I big, huge plus one from me on that. Huge. Because if you have a if you have a Rolodex of providers that you trust, that gives you a way to elevate yourself out of the labor pool above the labor pool and say, not only do I, you know, I can do this high value thing and then the you can have the implementation done by any of this nice list of people that I've worked with in the past and trust. It's a, that's a great thing to have sort of off topic, but that's a list that everyone should be making. And I should also know there's sometimes when people will want to say, meet with me, you know, can we get a cup of coffee? Can we get lunch? And if I happen to be in their area and if they sound interesting, you know, I'll meet with them, right? Like why not? And, and sometimes those meetings are total duds, but sometimes I've met some interesting people that way. Yeah, if you just look at it as sort of like a social a social call, then you can't really lose. If you you know if you've got time for a social call in your calendar, then sure. Right, that's the thing. Right, I think it's a mindset that I don't go into it saying, "Wow, I'm going to get a new client," because that I learned is not going to happen from such meetings. I'm trying to think. Overall, I feel like the larger problem we're discussing is a good problem to have. I think I've maybe I've heard from a few people who are in this kind of place of despair, and they're like, "Oh, I just." Everything that comes my way is crap, <laughs> right? And I, yeah. I know that's possible, but overall, I think it's it just kind of trying to give it context, at least for myself. I think it's a good problem to have that people are seeking you out. And I think that there's a lot of ways you can sort of parlay it into a demonstration of, of the status of your business or actual work. All right. Are we ready yeah. to get to picks? Sure. Are they free? <laughs> <laughs> Ruben, why don't you start us out? Sure. My pick this week is one of the best books I've read in a long, long time. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction. And it's by this uh, woman named Kathy O'Neill, who worked on Wall Street at a hedge fund. And then she worked at a startup. And, oh, yeah, by the way, she has a PhD in math and worked also at university as a professor. And then she sort of got into the data science thing. And it began to really depress her to see how some of these statistical models were being used and how people tend to defer to the computer. They're like, well, it's the computer, so it must be objective. Or, well, it's the computer, so it must know. 
and her her book is basically a a loud warning that our society is depending more and more on these statistical models and on machine learning. And they make all sorts of assumptions that are not necessarily the assumptions we want in a healthy society. So it's a pretty quick read, very well written, very interesting, and very disturbing. And I really suggest anyone who is at all interested in machine learning or data science, or who lives in the modern world and wants to see how these things are affecting them, because now your healthcare, your job, all sorts of stuff is being affected by this. Really uh, a fantastic, fantastic book and uh, very much worth reading. And uh, by the way, I should add, she's also a uh, panelist on uh, Slate Money, which is a great podcast. They discussed it on one of their episodes. So I'll put that in the show notes as well, where you can hear her talk about her book as well as, as, well as read it and enjoy it. Awesome. Philip, what are your picks? Boy, I have not been living life this past week. I've been working on a, a new version of the positioning crash course. So I was like, I got no picks. But then I, I was thinking about that issue of collecting data about kind of questions people have. And I do have something that I think will be interesting to folks. I survey people who buy my book, The Positioning Manual, and I ask them, what is the hardest part so far of positioning your business? Basically a one-question survey. And get a lot of interesting stuff back from that. I'll just read the numbers and then link people to the survey if they're interested, because I think it might be interesting. So 55% of respondents say that choosing a focus for their business is the hardest part. I think this is clearly, uh, you can choose more than one because the totals add up to more than 100%. 52% say doing market research or validating that focus is the hardest part. 12% say the fear, and 10% chose some other thing. So I guess that's my pick is, uh, is that survey. I'll link to it in the show notes. And that's it for me this week. All right, Jonathan, what are your picks? First one is a blog, I want to say blog post, but it's a wiki. I don't know if it's a wiki post or something, but it is an online piece about the subjective theory of value from the Austrian School of Economics, which if you're into my whole shtick about ditching hourly billing for value pricing, one of my uh, list subscribers pointed me at this post and it is just great at explaining from an economic standpoint what's going on with a lot of the psychology of money in these situations. And so obviously we'll link to that in the show notes. It's a very long, wacky URL. So that's subjective theory of value. And also I am going to be, I'm not sure when this will be released, so perhaps it will be launched by the time you hear this, but I'm going to be doing a podcast for my coaching business. And among other things, I'm going to be answering questions from folks on my email list on that podcast. So speaking of free advice, <laughs> you can ask me questions on my email list. And if it is a, a common question, then it is highly likely that it'll get answered on the show. So if people want to check that out, they can go to expensiveproblem.com slash podcast and either subscribe or sign up to be notified when it does launch. But I'm starting interviews this week. All right, I've got a couple of picks that I'm going to throw out here. The first one is a book that I've been reading. I've been reading the whole series, and I've been enjoying it. It's called The Fall of Hades, and the series is the Michael Vay books by Richard Paul Evans. They're just fun books. I really have enjoyed them. So I'm going to pick those, especially that last one. I'm about halfway through it, and it's, it's really, really fascinating so far. But yeah, so... Uh, Hopefully everybody has a great week. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.